Hello and welcome to This Climate Business, the podcast about turning the climate crisis into opportunity. Please follow us on social media and rate the podcast as it helps others to find us. I hope you enjoy the show. This is Ross Ingalls. Imports of e-bikes and scooters are on track for 75,000 sales in New Zealand by the end of the year. Projections are they could match new car sales as early as 2022. An early mover in the e-bike phenomenon is Michael Tritt. He's the founder of the retail chain Electrify New Zealand. We asked him to take us inside the e-bike business. Michael, welcome to This Climate Business. Hi, Ross. How are you doing? Excellent. Thank you. Um, Michael, let's just start with a bit about you. What's your own background and and at at what point did e-bikes become a bit of a mission for you? Well, I, I guess for me, I can't talk about e-bikes without talking about climate change because it is, you know, I know the uh, theme of the podcast. Uh, and for me, you know, I first became aware of climate change uh, when I was at high school, really, uh, back in the late oh. 1980s. And I remember doing a, uh, a school project on it and writing away to Greenpeace and Greenpeace sent me back some very informative, uh, you know, pieces of paper. Uh, and from that point, really, you know, I became concerned that it was an issue that, you know, w- was going to cause some some problems for the world. Um, mm. And I guess at that point, you know, I was too young to really think about how, <laughs> how I might contribute to being part of the solution, but I was definitely aware of it from a young age. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. And so then I went off to, you know, university um, and I went into the business school there, I suppose I had plans to, uh, you know, enter into the world of business, uh, but over the course of my time there, I, you know, became more aware of the of the wider world, I suppose, um, and and certainly by the time I uh, was ending my my time at university, I did a master's degree in the uh, marketing department there. You know, I'd, I'd more or less decided that that's what I wanted to do with my my career. I suppose was to. Uh, contribute whatever skills I had towards finding, you know, solutions to some mm. of the big environmental issues that we were we were facing, and climate change being the the biggest one of all. And so I, I wrote a thesis on uh, eco friendly consumers. That was mm-hmm. my uh, contribution to the academic world. Uh, and then I decided, okay, I need to, you know, find a job to pay the bills. Um, and I actually ended up going to work for, for Greenpeace, who, uh, who helped me out with that school assignment, you know, several years mm-hmm. earlier. So, uh, and I spent, a, you know, a decent amount of time there. Uh, and, uh, you know, primarily that they were my, um, my primary employer, I guess, for, mm. for most of my working life until I started a business. Um, and so when I was ready to kind of move on, uh, I had been the um, head of fundraising there at Greenpeace New Zealand. And so, you know, I'd learned some useful kind of skills in the in the world of kind of marketing, I suppose. And uh, mm. for me, it was, you know, the next step for me was I was going to start a business. It was going to be something um, that contributed, you know, to solving the climate problem. Right. Uh, and when I, you know, looked around, uh, bikes for me were a really obvious uh, answer and, you know, reason being I'd been a commuter cyclist nearly all of my adult life. Uh, right. You know, I'd lived periods of time without a car at all. Um, but, you know, my primary transportation method throughout my life has actually been a bike and, and right. it's always been 
uh, you know, whenever we've decided where we're going to live, you know, first question um, has always been, you know, can I bike, you know, to where I need to go mm, from mm, that mm. location? So, you know, we've we've made decisions about where we live based on, you know, how bikeable it is. And so, right. so for me, yeah, putting those two things together, you know, I had to, uh, you know, my, my own kind of background, having been a cyclist for such a long time, wanting to start a business that did something, you know, climate positive, it was a, the obvious place to start. And so, yeah, I went and imported a uh, container of e-bikes from, from an American <laughs> company uh, right. back in, you know, well, I arranged that at the end of 2014. So that was, I guess, coming up seven years now um, and started a shoebox size retail shop, uh, mm-hmm. which was all that I could afford to do at the time uh, in Freeman's Bay. And it, uh, it grew from there, I guess. Mm. So that was... Uh, Electrify New Zealand started in, in 2015. It sounds like it's grown like topsy. So you now have eight stores. You supply many others. You've uh, you've introduced your own e-bike brand, and and now you've recently moved into the United Kingdom. Yeah, it, it's definitely yeah, grown substantially since the uh, the shoebox store that I mentioned. Um, and so, you know, it's. I started just selling bikes directly to customers, you know, out of Freeman's Bay. And then I guess what I found was there was interest in, you know, product that uh, we were importing and, uh, by, you know, from other dealers and other bike stores that started to get into a bit of wholesaling. Mm. Uh, and, you know, over time, uh, you know, built a, a bit of a dealer network uh, and a couple of, you know, business partners uh, who've come in at different stages. So um, my partner, Ron, who was a minority investor at the start, uh, and James, who came on a couple of years later, um, those guys have really, you know, enabled us to, to take those next uh, steps from being, you know, a tiny little store in Freeman's Bay to becoming a distributor to, you know, the next step for us was to uh, open our own franchise retail stores. So we've got eight of those around the country. Uh, and... Uh, we're covering the main centres, you know, with Electrify NZ uh, branded retail stores. We've also, alongside that, got a pretty substantial distribution business. So our, our mm. distribution centre is in Hamilton, and we you know, send bikes out to you know, dozens of independent bike stores around the country, as well as our own stores. So, so is it is it a bit like you um you 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 caught the wave early on, and and that you know kind of e biking is mushroomed uh, since twenty fifteen. Yeah, that's right. You know, the timing was really good to to get into the e-bike business, you know, uh, in early 2015. Um, I think the total number of e-bikes being imported into the country was under 2,000, right? So, and if you contrast, <laughs> yeah, if you contrast that with the number you've mentioned, um, you know, of around 75,000, I don't know what the exact number is um, because, you know, the import stats are, uh, you know, a little bit tricky to, uh, to interpret, but it's probably not far off that, right? So if you imagine mm. going from less than 2,000 to 75,000 units coming into the country uh, within the space of, you know, six or seven years, you know, not many, right. not many industries mm. see that sort of exponential growth. And so I guess for us, yes, timing was good and we've been able to, you know, grow alongside the industry over that period of time. So who's buying all these e-bikes? 
Well, it's a mixture, really. Um, yeah. Back in the really early days of the business, uh, it was you know, nearly all leisure riders, I would say. Um, mm-hmm. this, the sales were primarily you know, slightly older leisure riders who were looking for something to get them back on a bike or enable them to you know, get out there on the, uh, on the trails and enjoy you know, uh, leisure opportunities. Um, and they're still a really, really big part of the market. Um, you know, slightly older recreational riders, and, and they're, you know, there's definitely a growing trend, especially you know since since the COVID um, situation has come along, people are looking for recreational opportunities that are here in New Zealand, not able to travel, and so yeah, a lot of people are riding the Hauraki Rail Trail, Otago Rail Trail, and you know, a whole bunch of the other trails uh, around the country. Um, which have sprung up in recent years, uh, mm. and for a lot of people, that's their primary motivation for buying an e-bike. Um, the other segment, which is really you know coming on a long way um, in the last six or seven years, and was very very small back in the day, uh, but is now you know comprising quite a large uh, share of e-bike buyers, is the commuter segment. So these are people mm. who are using it as a means of transportation. Um, getting to and from work, wanting to evade, you know, sitting in traffic jams. Uh, and recently, you know, people are uh, um, perhaps wanting to avoid sitting in a bus as well. And so they're looking for alternatives to that. Uh, and e-bikes tick a lot of boxes. Right. So are you seeing signs, Michael, that that, that e-bikes are replacing cars, perhaps the second car, maybe in some cases even uh, the sole car in a household? Yeah, for sure. Like, like you know, the set, the replacing the second car is the more common scenario, uh, and and you know, in New Zealand we do have this problem. I would call it a problem of, um, you know, a very high rate of vehicle ownership. Um, and if we are going to reduce emissions, I actually think we need to get that rate of vehicle ownership down. And and so you know, one of the easiest steps that a lot of people can take is yes it might be difficult to get rid of your primary car but maybe that second car you know you don't don't need it you don't need to pay the registration and insurance and running costs of that and your second vehicle in a a house can be an e-bike you know for running down to the shop for um Mm. for getting to and from work whatever uh and then for those occasions when you might need a bit more space we need to carry you know goods or people um you know you've still got the primary vehicle there so we're definitely seeing a lot of that uh and you know like we have my own household is in that same situation you know we we have a uh an ev uh which is a, a primary car but a secondary vehicle is an e-bike um, and it's the vehicle i prefer to use <laughs> and, and so yeah look it's it's very common for people to uh you know adopt an e-bike as a, as a second uh, household vehicle less common for people to use it as you know to go completely carless uh, right. but I think you know that will be a trend in the future and you know if you look at this uh, housing development they're planning um, down in Papakura I think it is uh, where they're actually you know not building car garages um, and they're having a shared car system right um, so mm-hmm. the idea is that people actually don't need to own a car they can, when they need right. one, they can tap into, you know, this shared resource. Uh, and so in the future, I can definitely see that people, you know, having access to shared vehicles when they need them. Uh, and they, But their primary day-to-day kind of runabout is a bike, you know. Um, mm. 
because we already know the vast majority of trips taken, you know, in urban environments, they're less than five k's. So mm. there's no need to carry a one-ton hunk of metal around with you when you <laughs> pop down to the, you know, the dairy for a bottle of milk, right? Yep, exactly. So what what uh, surprises people about e-bikes when they first buy one? Well, you see. What, what we call the e-bike smile when people first get on an e-bike. Um, and that is, wow, you know, people are really surprised, like, <laughs> how, how this power sort of kicks in and helps them, mm. you know, along and makes that kind of hill they're climbing seem like they're riding on a flat piece of terrain. So that's right. always, you know, anyone who's trying an e-bike for the first time, guaranteed they're going to come back with a smile on their face. Mm. Um, and then once people actually take that step to buying one i think the thing that surprises them is how often they use it mm. so you know so many of the kind of things that people buy in the consumer society you know they they, they spend money on something and it, it sits around gathering dust uh, but we're not finding you know this with e-bikes we're finding people actually once they've got them they're like wow this is actually a lot of fun i can see other mm. ways i can incorporate this device into my life so whereas you might have bought it with the intention of you know riding the hauraki rail trail in in um november you know <clears throat> suddenly but you know uh people realize that actually i can i can go uh, and do my shopping in this i can go and you know uh get my kind of daily exercise on this thing you know and i can mm -hmm. incorporate into the and in this into my life on a daily basis so i think that's what surprises mm. people is how much they use it right and in how many ways they can use it mm. do you have a sense for where new zealand stands against the rest of the world in terms of e-bike adoption yeah uh so new zealand is behind continental europe okay so that's really where the e-bike adoption uh, is at its highest, uh, especially in that um, you know, north, northern part of Europe, Germany, the Netherlands. You know, e-bike ad adoption there is extraordinarily high. I think the last stats I saw out of Germany was that uh, two million e-bikes were sold. I think uh, the last year in Germany, um, and yeah, you know, just massive numbers of of e-bikes being sold in those countries, and, and quite rapidly, you know, they're becoming uh, the the major part of the bike market, you know, they're overtaking uh, traditional bikes, certainly in terms of sales value, and in some places mm. in terms of sales numbers as well. So that's really the part of the world where e-bike adoption is at its strongest in Northern Europe. Mm -hmm. um, it's probably relatively low um, if you think about, you know, uh, higher income countries in, in, in the United States or Australia. Uh, the the uh, adoption rates are a bit lower than they are in New Zealand, and so New Zealand is sort of in between those two uh, two ends of adoption, I suppose. Yes, we're we're further ahead uh, than Australia or the US are, but we're not up to the levels of uh, continental Europe yet. Right. Okay. I suppose one of the things that you would expect with the maturing market is um, a proliferation of the options available to buyers so i'm thinking here about e-cargo bikes in auckland we're starting to see more and more and more of them on the roads is that what you're seeing as well yeah definitely uh, and you know when you talk about bikes that can replace a car uh mm. e-cargo e bike is really the ultimate 
you know, expression of that um, in terms of being able to carry, you know, uh, children, you know, some of them you can carry two or three kids on them or you can you know, get a kind of uh, two weeks worth of groceries in them um, or you, you can, you know, you, you can carry, you know, reasonably significant um, items. Uh, right, so, right, like a, like a case of Lindau. <laughs> you could, yeah, yeah, you can. You, well, you can carry right. a case of Lindau on a um, on a regular bike, e-bike probably, just with, you know, pro- right. appropriate secure uh, attachments. Mm. But uh, definitely seeing more e-cargo bikes. You know, they're still a, right. a relatively small part of the market for e-bikes overall. Uh, mm. And I guess that's where it comes down to infrastructure, you know, because for, for someone to actually say, okay, I'm going to use this day in, day out as my primary vehicle, I'm going to drop my kids off to school, I'm going to go to the supermarket with it, uh, you need those infrastructure connections between where you're coming from and where you're going so that people feel safe doing that. Mm. Well, I was I was going to ask you specifically about that, actually. So um, uh, what I understand is that, um, e-bikes are bringing in a totally new market of people who haven't to date been cyclists. More and more cyclists, therefore, on the roads. And I'm wondering if you're seeing signs that's putting pressure on the authorities to actually uh, get a little bit more hardcore with infrastructure. Yeah, definitely, it definitely is. Uh, and I don't think the authorities quite realise how big the you know e-bike market mm. is or how big it's going to be. You know, mm. you, you hear a lot of talk about um, EVs and all the things we need to do to facilitate the shift to electric vehicles. But, you know, as you've identified in your introduction, Ross, the um, escalation in e-bike adoption is massive. And, uh, mm. you know, we all believe that at some point they're actually going to overtake new vehicle registrations in this country, the um, number right. of e-bikes being sold. And, and, you know, when we're bringing in tens of thousands of them a year, then eventually you're going to have a very, very large proportion of the population who own one and who want mm. infrastructure that allows them to use that in the way they would like to use it. And, you know, a really good example of that, there was a guy, I think he is the chairperson of the Milford Business Association. And he mm-hmm. was one of these guys who ranted and raved against bike bike lanes going in and, uh, you know, did just one of these people who was you know reacted mm. badly to any cycling infrastructure because they weren't a cyclist and uh, yeah. and they didn't like the idea of it right and we all know people mm. like that uh, but yep. then I think it was during lockdown last year uh, I think he and his wife got bikes from our store in, in Albany um, and within a relatively short period of time this guy went from being um, you know, the proverbial kind of e-bike, you know, cycling opponent to being a massive advocate for Mm. uh, cycling infrastructure uh, because of the experience that he was able to have after, you know, getting himself on an e-bike. And so, you know, there's lots of people like that up and down the country, I'm sure, who previously were quite hostile towards cyclists and cycling. But once they got on a bike, they realised, you know, the challenges and the opportunities uh, of being a being a cyclist, you know, they change change their mind pretty quickly. So it makes it sound like e-biking is more viral than um, COVID-19. 
Uh, yeah, well, the case numbers are certainly, you know, very substantial <laughs> <laughs> and continuing to grow, you know, the R value, uh, R value of e-bike adoption is, uh, is pretty high. That's right. And, yeah. and, that, and that's how, you know, the adoption has spread actually through word of mouth and through recommendation. Like mm-hmm. just about everybody we see coming into a store nowadays has come in um, not because they've you know, heard about e-bikes online somewhere, but because they've friend or family member has one they've tried it they liked it and they want to get one for themselves and so that is how the e-bike wave is really um gathering momentum it's by um personal word of mouth yeah Mm, understood um michael last question um what uh specific policy initiatives would you like to see in new zealand around cycling we need to see a radical shift in transportation priorities and expenditure. Mm. We talked about carbon emissions and the opportunities for reducing transportation emissions in this country are enormous. You know, agriculture, Mm. which is our other big source of emissions in New Zealand, is much harder. But actually with transport, we actually have the solutions here right now. We, We could push a button tomorrow and significantly reduce our transportation emissions. But we need to actually reprioritize how we allocate funding and actually how we allocate um, space, physical space. Mm. Uh, and both of those things need to happen to really facilitate, you know, the what I think is, you know, the massive potential for e-bikes to play a role in our transportation system. Mm. You know, um, 30, 40 years ago, they didn't have 50% of people in Copenhagen, um, Denmark, riding to work on a bike. That has Mm -hmm. come about because of decisions people have made about infrastructure and supporting Mm -hmm. cycling. And when you put the infrastructure in, build it and they will come. It may not happen overnight and you hear the complaints about how people see an empty cycle lane. But you know what? Once that empty cycle lane has been connected up with other bits of cycle lane, that's when you can get exponential growth and adoption. And so... Yes, we need to see that radical shift. So, you know, Paul Winton, the um, analyst who's looked at, you know, how do we reduce emissions in New Zealand, um, he, he says we need to allocate, I think it was a third of uh, the street space in our in our main cities to cycling. You know, that's the scale right. of change that is needed if we are going to get near the emission reductions that we have proposed. And so, yes, we need to put the money into building cycle lanes and connecting up networks so people can uh, get from where they live to where they need to go, whether that's work, whether that's school, whether that's the supermarket. Uh, But we also need to take some of the space uh, and we've allocated a hell of of a lot of space to private vehicles um, in in our towns and cities. We need to take some of that space and reallocate it to bicycles. Uh, and for me, you know, a really good first step towards that uh, would be to allocate a lane on the Auckland Harbour Bridge starting this summer. Amen to that. <laughs> Michael Tritt from Electrify New Zealand, thank you very much for joining this climate business. This Climate Business, the podcast about turning the climate crisis into opportunity. Please follow us on social media and rate the podcast as it helps others to find us. This Climate Business is brought to you by Podcasts New Zealand.